Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager, Fireside Chat. Now, can you tell that it's a little different looking than normal because I'm, I'm normally facing that? I don't know if you, the viewer, could tell. As Otto, of course. Now, is my guest visible right now as well? Because I, I, this is very rare that I have a guest on a Fireside Chat. This is my chance to talk to you about what is on my mind and take your questions every week. And I haven't missed a week in 170... Four. Wow. That's a lot of weeks. But every so often, it's very important to me to have a dialogue with someone uh, on the fireside chat. Now, this is particularly valuable because while we agree on a lot, and that's, that's not insignificant, I will point that out, we disagree on the God issue and God and morality, God's existence and the whole thing. So when, when I have had dialogues with people I differ with on some some issue, I try to find the best because it's not fair to the other side if I don't get the best. So Craig Biddle is as good as it gets. Uh, he uh, is a devotee and a promoter of the ideas of Ayn Rand or Ayn Rand, as many of you know it. And so let me tell you First, what we do have in common, which incidentally is more important to me than what divides us, which is a very interesting subject unto itself. What, what uh, I, we haven't met before, or, or at least not with you know, any, at any extensive. Did we meet before? I don't think so. Okay, so there we go. Okay, we haven't met before. And we are both crazy about liberty. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Exactly. So let me just say this at the outset. Uh, I much prefer, I am much closer philosophically, morally, emotionally to an atheist who loves liberty than to a God believer who doesn't. Okay. Just want to make that clear. And I suspect, I don't want to put any words in your mouth. That's true for you, that you might be closer with me than with an atheist who wants big government. Oh, absolutely. Okay. There you go. That, and that's it for today. <laughs> Show you how close we are. All right. So uh, let's let's go to some of the uh, the issues that uh, obviously we don't agree on. So I'll begin. I, I have said this on the radio very often. Whenever I meet an atheist and have a dialogue, I, I ask them an opening question. It's not a trick. I don't I don't believe in that. And by the way, just for you. And I know I know you know this, but I'm telling this to you. My task here is not to win. My task is to illuminate differences. I believe in clarity over agreement. Okay. I just want to, I want to make that, there's no scorecard here. Uh, so I just needed to say that because it's more important that people go away understanding where we differ than, gee, who won? Who, who won is in sports. Okay. So this always interests me to ask atheists when I, when I meet them, do you hope this is, it's really more of an emotional question even than intellectual. Do you hope you are right or wrong about there not being a God? I've never, I've never pondered the question of which I hope. Um, and I, I don't know that it, I don't see the, the, the value in it, but I'll, but I'll answer it for the, because I, I get the, the, the point of the question. I, I actually hope that there is not a God, because if there is a God, it eliminates some of the things that I think are really important about life. Um, 
it eliminates. Now, I know, you know, religious people have debated this issue for a long, long time, and there are all sorts of ideas on it. But I think it would eliminate free will, right? God's, God's omniscience and omnipotence would require that he knows everything that's going to happen. And therefore, m what I perceive as my free will, and I'm a firm believer in free will, um, would be not in my view. So, and, and, for, and for several other reasons, I would say probably I, I would hope not. So already we have uh, great subjects here. So I want to talk about the free will because I have the literal opposite view. Only if there is a God, is there free will? Yeah. I'll explain my position in a moment. But <clears throat> the, the, when I ask the question, it's, it, it's important to me because... It, I asked this of, uh, oh, who's a very well-known atheist uh, with uh, Reason magazine? Is he with Reason? No, no, he publishes his own intellectual... Uh, Sherman? Sorry? Michael Sherman? Yeah, Michael Sherman. Skeptic. So you, huh? Skeptic Magazine. Yeah, Skeptic Magazine, thanks. So you you know him. I know of him. I've oh, oh, okay, him, yes. of him. So he's very prominent, uh, in, in, again, uh, as a as an articulate espouser of atheism. So I asked him this question. It's on video somewhere. And uh, he, too, had not, not been asked the question. And he said, you know, he, he wasn't happy with his answer, but he said the answer that I would expect. And that is, look, I don't believe that there's a God, but yeah, wouldn't I want to see my loved ones after I die? Why wouldn't I want there to be a God? So that's why it's odd to me your answer. Wouldn't you? You have a daughter and a wife, and I'm sure others you love, and you had a dog you loved. <laughs> I, I mean, just on that, or, or one other, that to me is, is as important as anything. I want the evil judged. The, the thought that there are people who have done such horrible things to human beings, and, they, and there is no consequence, that that would bother me. So how do you deal with that? Well, yeah, I mean, if I parse the question into thing, you know, wouldn't you like to see, you know, a friend of yours who has died or my mother who's passed away already? Um, yeah, I mean, I would I would love to do that. So I could look, depending on on what issue I focus on, what 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 the value is or what the consequence would be, I might I might alter my uh, answer on on wishes. Um, so. Uh, and and it would be nice if if people who seem to get away with horrific things really did you know burn in hell. Some of them I think really deserve to. And and if if people who had horrible things done to them that didn't deserve those things, if if there was some way right. for them to to have some kind of uh, uh, you know accounting for that and justice later, that would be nice. But I don't. But here's the thing: I I don't see any evidence for this afterlife. And what I think is much more important is saying, look, what's the best we can do in this life to live well, um, you know, uh, be just, ensure that people are, are treated properly as they deserve to be treated. Good people are treated well. Horrific people are punished. Um, and so my, my focus is on trying to accomplish those things. So is mine. Uh, we're in 100 percent agreement. But I, that's why, though, I, I asked the opening question, our focus must be on, on this life. I, I, that, that's a basic religious principle that I, that I religious principle. Now, let's get to the, uh, the free will issue. So if you're an atheist, you're a materialist. No. 
So this is the I'm okay. A let me explain material. Forgive me. Let me just explain. Materialism is not people love to buy things. Oh, by no, the no, way, no. Snoopy has come in. Snoopy has taken great affection to Craig. By the way, which is uh, a credit to Craig. Notice, uh, but however, this this has not been ever captured. Craig, you're here for a, a great moment. They groom each other a great deal. So this may take place. This could go on the entire uh, broadcast. I just just want you to know uh, when Snoopy uh, cleans uh, Otto's ears and eyes or vice versa. As you can see, is everything visible? You're trying to get Snoopy away. Okay. Well done, Snoop. They love each other. It's very touching, actually. All right. So uh, materialism, uh, philosophically, not in the common sense that people like, you know, more houses or more watches, uh, is the belief that only matter is real. So you are not a materialist, even though you're an atheist. Yeah, I believe in consciousness and matter. I believe in both. So the way that Ayn Rand put it, Ayn Rand is, as you mentioned, is a philosopher I, I really agree with. I, I think she got philosophy right. And as she put it, um, existence and consciousness both exist. And by existence, she means external physical existence. But that consciousness is real. And it is not the same thing. It's a different thing. It may be an emergent property of physical existence, but it's real and it's, it's a separate thing. Right. But if it's an emergent thing of the physical, then consciousness is also material. The, the neurons of my, of my brain are what give me my consciousness. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's a scientific question, what gives rise to consciousness. And I don't have, I don't have an answer on that. I take the position that we know, we're, we know consciousness exists because we're using it. So we know gravity exists, even though we don't know what explains gravity. But nobody would say it doesn't exist. Why? Because we experience it. And we experience consciousness. You and I couldn't be having this conversation if we weren't conscious. So I take it as axiomatic in the literal sense of that term philosophically, that it's at the foundation of all knowledge that both of these things exist, existence and consciousness. Right. So is consciousness a product of existence or product of physical existence? I think it must be because, um, but that doesn't mean it's the same thing. Something can be a product of something and not be the same thing. Like I can, I can make a table and it's not the same thing as me. So a product uh, doesn't necessarily imply that it's the same thing. Um, but I don't know how it would be the case that um, life ever came into existence, particularly conscious life, from what was presumably at some point only physical matter in the universe, although it's conceivable that, that conscious matter or consciousness has existed. So why isn't that an argument for a creator? Consciousness and a creator are not necessarily the same thing either. So the idea of a creator is that at one time there was no existence, right. and then the creator's consciousness created existence. Right. And my thoughts on that would be, um, first of all, it's, it's, it's highly speculative, right? It's just the idea that, um, that we, we see existence, we're here, we're living in it. And then we're going to posit that there was something that came before it that created this. And Aristotle called this senseless duplication because he said, you're just trying to, he said, said this of Plato's theory of, of forms. He said, you're taking this already complicated situation, reality, and trying to explain what's going on here by means of another dimension. Well, 
if the premise is that you've got to have another dimension to explain this dimension, then you would also have to have another dimension to explain that one, and you get an infinite regress. Well, you, so only, get, you only get an infinite regress if, if the creator was created. But uh, ever since the notion of the creator arose with the Bible, there is, there is no creator God prior to the Bible. Other, other gods did a lot of making and creating, but the universe wasn't made by one God. But anyway, this creator God uh, is, uh, is not, the whole point is that he is eternal. So it, for those of us who define what we believe in, which is only fair, is no infinite regress. N nobody created God because God was always there. But all right, anyway, that's this. I want to get back to free will, unless you want to say something. Well, just a quick thing on yeah. that. So, so your, your position is that th there had to be a God who created this existence. And my position is just a little bit simpler. It's just, I say that this existence is primary. That and that it is eternal, right? Time is the, the universe is not in time. Time is in the universe. So I, I think the existing universe is simply has it has always existed, and that time is simply the measurement of motion within the universe. You know, the the Earth spins. You know, so at there hours. was no beginning, even though the general consensus is there was a Big Bang. The only way I can make sense of the Big Bang, and this is again physics, it's certainly not my area, but the only way I can make sense of a Big Bang is the idea that there may have been a very dense portion of an existing universe and that that exploded and has created you know, a, a, um, an expansion of something. But there had to be something to explode and it, if there's an expansion, it has to expand into something, at least a region. So something has to exist for there to be any expansion. So I can't see how you can get something from nothing, and I, I can't see how you can have expansion into nothing. So I, Right, but the something from nothing, right. You, I, we agree on that then. You, you can't understand something from nothing. Great. So that we agree on. The, where we differ is that you think the something always was, so you don't have the problem of where did it come from. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. But I don't. I think today, at least, again, I'm not a physicist either. But the general consensus is there was a beginning, which disturbs a lot of atheist astronomers, by the way. Yeah. But but it does suggest that. Now, on the free will thing, I, this is really important. If we are only matter, I know you say we're matter and consciousness, but you acknowledge consciousness was produced by matter. And I acknowledge, too, that they're not the same thing. But still, without matter, there's no consciousness. Okay. So, if I am, if I, Dennis, am solely the product, uh, which is what I think an atheist would have to hold, I am the product, and everything I do is the product of genes, the physical, and environment. Only if you believe in... in something non-material in the human, which we call a soul, can you believe that there's any free will? Because everything is ultimately determined, everything I do, by my physical makeup, my neurons, my genetics, and by my environment. Where am I in this equation if there's no soul? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's an interesting thing. Ayn Rand, again, and I don't obviously don't speak for her. Nobody speaks for her but her. But this is my interpret interpretation of her ideas, which I agree with. 
Um, her view, as I've already mentioned, is that there is both existence and consciousness, and that in human beings, consciousness also involves free will, which is uh, which is comes part and parcel with reason. And the free will part is simply this: she she doesn't take she doesn't believe in the same, or she, and she didn't uh, um, find any reason to believe in some of the versions of free will that people claim. Like you can do anything, you can if you have free will, you can choose to do anything at any time without any restriction. No, she said that free will, uh, the, the, the locus of free will, where it resides, is in one very specific point, and that is your ability to focus your mind or not. Your ability to exert mental effort, to understand the world, or to back off on that effort or to stop that effort completely. But that's, that's all free will is. It's the ability of the human being to activate his mind and think or dim that down to some extent or simply turn it off. And we can, this is an introspectively observable. You can see that you can ramp up your, your, your uh, focus and your, your, your uh, concentration on something, or you can back it off or you can turn it off. And that's all that free will is. But that's a lot. Right, because our, our, our minds, our reasoning minds are a means of understanding this world in which we live, right? And so to be able to regulate your use of that thing, it, 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 it's not the robust free will that some people assume, like the idea that I could just get up and go run through the window right now if I have free will. Well, I couldn't do that. And the reason I can't do that is because I have values also that are real, that I've developed over my life, that preclude me from doing that. So it's a right, but of course, people all the time have the free will to violate their values. People do that constantly. You sure can, yeah. Okay, so again, I just want to say, so there's nothing non-material, even consciousness, that defines us. So there is no Dennis in Dennis. That's my point. I am just a product. Do you blame, let's put it this, do you blame people, not, not because it's, it's valuable to do so, but do you deep down blame people for their bad, even criminal choices? Yes. And so I, I very much differ from most of the atheists that you have probably spoken with on this. So Sam Harris, for instance, claims that there is no such thing as a self. He, well, he's consistent. Yeah. <laughs> And, and That's I say, my argument. Yeah, yeah. So I say that there is a self. Your self is the integration of two things, your mind and your body. And we know that we have both of these things because we can see our mind, we can see our bodies, we use our bodies, and because we're using our minds right now to think and have this conversation. So the two of those things together, integrated, constitute the me, the self that, that's here. And, uh, and if I die, then my body is left and my life is gone. And, this, and the, the consciousness, the soul, whatever you want to call it, is gone, uh, but the physical elements remain. Before we get into the issue of God and morality, uh, how do you explain, um, and you, if, if you accept my premise, that the if I, if I took a thousand atheists off the street and a thousand churchgoers off the street... Which group will I more likely find pro-liberty people in? Today in America, yes, today you, in you America, will, you will probably find more pro-liberty people in the religious. Right. In the well, religious by the way, I just want to say to all of you, right, gives 
this is a credit to his intellectual honesty that he would acknowledge that. I, I, oh, I, no I, question. I, I, yeah. There, there would be so, a lot okay. more people in that group. How do you explain that? So this is interesting. The, the philosophic position that I'm representing here, the Ayn Rand's philosophy, is new. This, I mean, she, she developed this in, in the 50s. And so um, this is a very new thing. And, and the secular philosophies prior to Rand um, were really, really bad, some of them. I mean, the, the, the German philosophers are, in, in particular were really bad. And that's, that's what, you know, the, the Frankfurt School and all of this stuff. Right. That Just if you accept my view, the Germans are always wrong. You understand much of modern history. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's, it, you know, and, and look, uh, communism and um, socialism are typically atheistic, uh, right. you know, ideologies. Right. So there's, it, it's very easy for people to latch on to these things and assume that they necessarily always go together. But atheism is just the idea that you, you don't see evidence for the existence of God, so you don't believe that he exists. That's a negative. It is not a positive. And the positive is much, much more important than that. And this is what people don't have because they haven't discovered this 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 set of ideas that I'm uh, that I advocate. The morality, which I know we're going to get to, is really really rich and and important because it undergirds liberty in a way that no other moral code ever has, in my view. And I think if people knew that, you would have a lot more people who are secular or atheistic or whatever the negative is that you would want to call them, because they would have this positive philosophy that they can see how that supports liberty and individual rights and, and American values. Right. So I, I, for my part, wish you great success. Because as I began, I am closer to a liberty-loving atheist than a, a state-increasing, civil liberties-decreasing person who believes in God. Okay. So I, I hope you succeed. But the track record of those who have uh, been atheist is not a great one morally. Oh, it's horrible. The track record is very bad. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, other than wishing you success, I don't have much hope for the moral future of, of atheism. And I, I, I want to make clear, because I am misquoted on this always, Prager says you can't be good if if you're not, if you're an atheist. I've never said that in my life. There are good you are a good human who is an atheist, okay? And there are bad people who believe in God. This is this is as obvious as the sun rises in the east. But the track record globally, we both acknowledge of atheism has been awful. Oh, from Pol Pot to Stalin, I mean, it, it, it's just yeah. the whole crowd. Okay, that so that's story. a perfect segue into the morality issue. So I'm, I, I, I'm going to, uh, we'll get to murder and stealing in a moment. I'll give you something a little less, because I am, a, my biggest advocacy is that is ethical monotheism, that there is a God who wants us to be ethical, and, the, and his revelation is the Ten Commandments. That's, so I believe if the world lived by the Ten Commandments, it would be a good world. So uh, I, I give this in, in, in my uh, Bible commentary, the Rational Bible. I, I mentioned this in the, in the introduction. Like most teenagers, in my late teens and early 20s, I had issues with my parents. Nothing huge, but I had issues with my parents, which is extremely common, extremely normal, and 
ABC, and so on. Okay. However, because I believed in God and the Ten Commandments, which said, honor your father and mother, I always, always honored my father and mother. No matter how difficult emotionally at any given moment, at a certain age, uh, I, I moved out of my parents' house at 21. I called my parents every week. See, let me figure this out. 21, so I don't know, 50. I guess uh, 40 years till they died. Every week for 40 years. If we're, I traveled constantly, if I, I was in another state, if I was in, in another country, I called them. And uh, I did that because of, I believe God commanded me to honor my father and mother. I, th I think that's very powerful. And if you don't have that, I think you're less likely to do that. I think you're more likely to follow your emotions or worse, your therapist <laughs> and say, oh, you, you're having a hard time with your parents. You know, look, look at how, look at how they mistreated you. Uh, so what, what is your answer to that? That's, that's we're getting into the moral issue, just on pragmatic grounds, who's more likely to, to, unless you don't believe honoring parents is important. But if you do, who's more likely to do so? An atheist or a religious person? Right. Yeah, so again, atheist just means they don't believe in God. There's no, so it's the entire secular world, including all the really bad secular people and all the, the really good secular people. And so it's, I think it's a kind of a package deal that's not a good, it's not, a just, it's not helpful descriptively. Um, because I don't represent atheists and I certainly don't represent, you know, secularists. That, that again, is just a negative. What I'm here to represent is that there, there's a, an objective morality that we can derive from observation and logic. And one of its principles is justice, that people should be, should, should be judged based on the actual facts of what they do and say, and then they should be treated accordingly as they deserve to be treated. So in the case of your parents and in the case of my parents, I, I had wonderful parents and uh, my father's still alive, a wonderful man. And, I, you know, I have my differences with him. He, he's an Episcopal minister, so we have some substantial differences. But um, do I honor my, my father? Yes, I do. But I honor him because he's a good man, not because he's my father. I honor him because he deserves to be honored. Whereas if let's and I know that I know that you and I will agree on this because I listened to your book recently on the Ten Commandments. And I thought, I thought it was very interesting the way that you pointed out from your perspective why it's always in your best interest to follow these commandments. And you, you, you kept circling back and trying to integrate the commandments. And it was interesting to hear. I've never heard anybody try that before. And I think you actually did a pretty good job on it. I still, still disagree with some of the points there. But it occurred to me that what you were doing was you were to some extent, undermining the idea that you have to do these because they come from God. You were saying there's a, there's a self-interest in doing these, right? And to me, the self-interest is the more important thing. Does acting in a certain way, like upholding justice or honoring your parents if they deserve honor, is that good for your life or bad for your life? If your parents are horrible people, let's say it's a, your father has sexually abused you repeatedly, as you know, and, and just some horrible situation like that. I know, and you pointed out in, in your in your book that you do not owe honor to that kind of person, and you said that that's a very very small number of people, and it is, but it's also real. It happens, and so I think that it's wrong to say you should honor your parents because God said so. I think it's even wrong to say you should just always honor your parents, and my. 
my 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 big problem with the religious approach to the commandments is not so much the content of the idea, you know, hey, you know, treat people nicely or however you want to, or, you know, don't murder, right? Uh, yeah, I think you shouldn't murder. But I don't think the reason that you shouldn't murder is because God said so. I think there are better reasons for that. So it's the method that I have more of a beef with than it is the, the content or the principle. Okay, so uh, we'll take each one in turn. My position is that except for the asterisk of an, a truly abusive parent, you should honor your parents. And as I point out, there's no commandment to love your parents. The Bible is, is very powerful in that way. It understands a lot of people can't love their parents. But honoring parents, I mean, here, here's one you'll, I think you'll like. And it's, 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 in my, it's in my book, The Rational Bible. The the first thing that uh, totalitarian regimes do, which you hate like I hate, because that's the opposite of liberty, is sever a parental authority. So in the Soviet Union, you've joined Komsomol, the Soviet Youth League. Uh, and uh, I, I quote uh, a famous saying from Mao that, uh, uh, that you, you, may, you have a mother and you have a father, but, but Mao above all. Uh, in... in uh, in, in, in Nazi Germany, you joined the Hitler Youth. Your allegiance was to Hitler, not your parents. Parental authority is one of the great bulwarks against totalitarianism and against cults. So I don't... If you say to a, a young person or even an older person, you don't have to honor your parents if they're not honorable, then... That's the end of the commandment. I, I always give this example. Uh, people would rise when the president came into a press conference. People who hated the president still rose. They didn't rise. I assume they even rose for Donald Trump. I'm not certain about it, but I, 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 I assume so. They didn't rise because they, they thought well of Donald Trump. They rose because he was president. You don't honor your father and mother because they're wonderful. You honor them because they're your father and mother. That is the point. Yeah, I certainly think you owe respect to your parents, particularly if they're good people and they've done really good job to to try to raise you. And well, right, but that's easy. Yeah, and and even if your parents aren't great, uh, but they you know they they put a roof over your head and fed you and and uh, tried to help educate you or whatever then even there, I think you owe them some, some respect, I think, but, but the respect is directly in proportion, in my view, to what they, what they earned. I, I don't think that just because they brought you into this world- Or raised you. Or, or raised you, that, right. you, that you necessarily owe them the same degree of respect. It's, 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 a, it's a sliding scale right based on now, what they've done. I'll just give one more and then we'll move on to murder. So right now, or, or Yes, right now even, but certainly before the election of, of, uh, of President Biden, the, the number of, of adults, not 15-year-olds, not adults, who severed relations with parents who voted for Donald Trump is enormous. Religious Christians and Jews whose parent voted left 
did not sever relations. So there's again a practical example of the consequences of atheism. I don't know. I think I don't think it's a consequence of atheism. I think it's a consequence of the of today's left caring so much about politics and about trying to. I think much of the left really wants to destroy America, and they're adamant about this. They don't like this country. They don't like the freedom that it represents and that it's supposed to to protect. And uh, they're they're really trying to to destroy this country. And this is no surprise after a hundred years of progressive education in in the in the grade schools, and fifty years of postmodernist education in, in in the colleges. We shouldn't be surprised that the that the uh, the the leaders today won't want to destroy the country, and that much of America doesn't doesn't like America. Um, I don't think that. Parental, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, you thought that parental respect is the, is the great bulwark against socialism. I think individualism is the great bulwark against socialism. And what I think parents owe to their children and children owe to their parents is that they should, they, that then they should go both ways. They should respect the fact that each is an individual and has a reasoning mind, and they should demand of each other that they use their reasoning minds. Parents should be rational with their children and children should treat their, their parents rationally. And that individualism to me is, is more important than, than family ties. I think it's the root of good family ties too, though. Right, well, look, I'll just say, I didn't say the bulwark, I said a bulwark. Okay, but, but, but in any event, uh, I love individualism. I also think it emanates from the biblical worldview that every one of us is created in God's image. And when that dies, uh, I think you get a herd mentality. Now to murder. So, okay. So this is what uh, was very controversial because I said, and I've said it all of my life, if there is no God, murder is not wrong. You can believe murder is wrong, and I certainly hope you do. You can, you can uh, feel it is wrong. You can advocate it is wrong. But it is not. It cracks me up. This is, this is truly... A, uh, there are four of us now. <laughs> it's usually two of us. <laughs> well, we made friends before we started yeah, here. Apparently. Uh, oh, my God. All right. Snoopy, go back to Megan. She loves you. Great. Okay, that worked. I mean, I don't think it worked, but it sounded like it, it seemed worked. seemed to work. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, the, I'll give you an example. This is a very interesting little tidbit. The Catholic Church converted Europe, often by the sword, admittedly, and often by, by persuasion, admittedly, whatever. The group that they found hardest to convert to Christianity were the Germanic tribes. I got this from a, a scholar teaching one of these courses on, on the history of the church. It was fat, it's the, it's the, literally the only thing I remember from like 40 hours, but it was worth it. As I'm sure you'll agree, one nugget is, is worth a whole book. And in passing, he noted why it was so hard to convert the Germanic tribes, because they thought the idea that you cannot kill is absurd. They, they said, what are you, nuts? We, that's what we do. We kill. And wh why is that wrong? Uh, so you, wh your argument, well, you don't want to be killed, so why would you kill? They said, of course we don't want to be killed. We aren't killed. We're stronger. And they wouldn't say it because they'd never heard of Darwin in, in the ninth century, uh, but it was very Darwinian. 
We follow nature, the survival of the fittest. Where do you where do you get the absolute? I know why you think murder is wrong. I know that. But why do you claim it is objectively existent that it is wrong, that it is as objective as water is H2O? Yeah, and I like that you put it that way, because it is that objective. And I think it's demonstrably that objective using observation and reason rather than revelation and faith. So this is the difference. Um, so in order to talk about morality, as you well know, you have to you have to have a standard of value that you're referring to. If there's no standard, and I know you believe that God's will is the standard of value, so that's that's your standard, and you then you can think in terms of objectivity to that standard, which you regard as objective. I don't regard that as an objective standard because I, first of all, I, I don't see evidence for God. And secondly, it wouldn't be objective in my view, even if God did exist, because it's still somebody's consciousness saying, you must do this or you must do that. It's a commandment coming from a consciousness. Well, that's to my mind, that's the, the definition of subjectivity, some consciousness telling you what to do some subject telling you what to do. So I don't see that as objective. So why would I regard murder as objectively wrong? And this is where Ayn Rand's philosophy gets really interesting because she uh, regards the objective standard of moral value to be the requirements of human life on earth, the factual requirements of human life on earth. This includes because we're, we're a certain kind of animal, we're a rational animal, an animal that doesn't mean that we're always rational. It means that our means of survival is the use of our reasoning mind. That's how we figure out what things are and how they work together and how we can use resources to build huts and you know, uh, you know, automobiles and satellites and everything else that we've built. We use our reasoning minds to do that. And her view is that the... Uh, that human life, the requirements of the kind of animal that we are, constitute the standard of moral value. And, and it's by reference to those requirements that we can say something is objectively good or objectively bad. Why is freedom objectively good? Because the animal that we're talking about who needs freedom, human beings, in order to live, in order to live and prosper, must be free to act on his judgment, to produce goods, to trade them voluntarily to mutual advantage, and so on. If he can't do that, he can't live as a human being. You could put him in a cage, he can live in a cage, but that's not a human life. To live as a human being the way that you and I want to live, we must be free. This is not an opinion, it's a fact. It's an observable fact that we can demonstrate. Rand's entire moral code is based on this same kind of reasoning. Where do rights come from? A right is simply a recognition of the fact that in order to live, a human being has to act in this way. Ergo, he must be free. He must be left free to act in that way, whether it's a right to life, liberty, property, pursuit of happiness, whatever. Right. But all of that is, is your opinion that freedom is important or that a full life is important or justice is important. That doesn't make them absolutes. It, 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 I love that you have those opinions. I respect that you do. And as I said, I hope you prevail. But it doesn't render them objective. Because the next guy could say, I don't give a damn about your freedom. I give a damn about my pleasure. Yeah. 
And, and you don't have an argument. I do. <laughs> so it, get, it keeps getting interesting if we, if we go now. So there are two, two things that I'd like to talk about here to try to help explain to you something about this, this new approach that Rand has. One of them we could go to how, what, how do you make clear that the requirements of human life are objectively correct, not just an opinion. So that we, we, we could talk about that for a few minutes and I can explain her thinking on that and my thinking on that. Um, or I could point out an interesting fact about Rand that I think you will like that would help us get down into that. And that is this. Rand held that her morality is the philosophically worked out proof of what the founding fathers said in the Declaration of Independence or what they implied in the Declaration of Independence. And what she means by that is, so they spoke of the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, in the, in the final declaration, they didn't include property, but it was in there in earlier drafts, and of course the founders were very big on, on property rights, so it was kind of Im implicit in there. You can take each of these rights, life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness, and what Rand has done for each of them is pointed out that not only do you have a right to this thing, but it's morally correct that you pursue it and that she can prove this using reason, observation, and logic. She can prove it objectively in a standard of value. So take life. And this goes to why murder is wrong. It, it, it'll, it'll be born right out of this, this brief sort of uh, thought process on, on what Rand did with this. So the founders say you have a right to life, and they, they regarded that right as either coming from the creator or as self-evident or as some combination of the two, as using their own words. Um, and at the time, I think that that was, you know, about the best thinking you could have. They, didn't, they, they hadn't had to put up with the secularists, the, the bad secularists, like the utilitarians and the, and the uh, uh, positivists and other, other philosophies that were to come later. So what she says about life is you have a right to life, not only that, it's morally correct that you act in your self-interest so that you can live your life without violating the rights of others. That's implicit in this. But deeper than that, she said, the reason that life is, is a, the fundamental right is because it's also the standard of moral value. Why is it the standard? Life, she observed, is the only reason that we can pursue values because we're alive. And it's the only reason we need to pursue values in order to stay alive. If you, didn't, if you weren't alive, if you're a rock or a river, you, you can't pursue values. And if you are a living thing and you want to stay alive, if you're human and you want to stay alive, you have to pursue values. It's, it's a necessity. And she had a whole thought process on how this fact uh, makes life, the requirements of human life, the standard of moral value. It's the only thing that makes values possible and it's the only thing that makes values necessary. And no one ever thought in this, this rich, deep way about this before, to my knowledge, uh, than Rand. And she did, she did this with each of the points that the founders have. Liberty, why do you need liberty? Because the kind of life you are, this, li this living being who survives by using his mind, you must be left free to use that mind so you can live or you can't live. Therefore, you should be left free, and you can prove this all the way down to rock-solid bottom by pointing out what kind of animal we are and what our means of survival is. 
Well, g- given the number of people who didn't think others had had this right to life that you accept as your fundamental, it's still your, and I, again, I commend it, but it's still your leap of faith. I made a leap of faith that there was a God who says, protect life. You made a, a leap of faith to protect life without a God saying it. But it, it, it's, it, it's your leap of faith. And it's not objectively uh, provable. Uh, and given the human condition of, of the vast numbers of people who have chosen death, I mean, 100 million in the 20th century non-combatants, and, and God knows what will be in the next century. People, human nature hasn't changed. So I, I, I ultimately, my bet is on a God who says do not murder more than uh, the, the, the truly admirable uh, f- philosophy that, that, that you have articulated. Another aspect of this is, uh, again, the pragmatic. We would just talk the philosophic. I, I think that God, only God makes murder objectively wrong as opposed to subjectively. Fine. But just on pragmatics, so who do you think will produce more people who don't murder? Those who say, when you die, it's over, it's oblivion. And those who say, when you die, you will be rewarded or or punished uh, based on how you behaved. And if you murdered, you, you will indeed suffer the consequences. Uh, forgive me for, for just saying this. I, I, it may not be right, and, but I, I'm not doing it not to be right. I think we all acknowledge that the absence of punishment makes the infraction more likely. Is that not fair? Yeah, there, there's definitely something to that. I mean, if, if people think that the alternatives are uh, anything goes, doesn't matter what, what you do versus, Hey, it does matter what you do. Cause you're going to be judged in an afterlife. Then you're, you're either right. going to, you know, I know you don't believe in hell, but you know, in the Christian, no, no, version, I do believe, uh, but, but do you, do you I, believe in, I, uh, uh, people say always, cause I'm Jewish that, uh, I don't believe in hell people just to, let me say, take a 30 second detour. People should never confuse what Jews say with Judaism. This is not to knock Jews, but they they usually have nothing in common. Most Jews don't know what Judaism says about almost anything, which is fine. Uh, It's not a knock on them, but it's a fact. Uh, One of the 13 principles of the Jewish faith by Maimonides, the the greatest Jewish mind that people believe ever lived, uh, is that there is reward and punishment after death. He doesn't use the word hell, but... I don't care what word you use, punished after death is hell. Okay, go ahead. Got it, got it. So yeah, I, I think that if the alternatives are sort of a nihilistic view of the world, not, anything goes, nothing matters um, kind of thing, or, or no, there's a God and, and you're going to be judged. If those were the alternatives, and I think a lot of people think those are the alternatives, they're going to be more inclined to, to you know, uh, uphold some virtues according to the religion. And I think that that's dem- demonstrably the case historically. But I, but I don't think those are the alternatives. They're, those are the alternatives that have been given for a long time. But there's another way that we can look at, at morality and reality, and that is this. Um, you and I both know that it's not true that you can, do, you can act any way you want and achieve happiness. Right. That's just not true. You, you, you wrote a book 
unhappiness that I read that I thought had some really, really good points in it. And you can't act any way you want and achieve happiness. In order to achieve happiness, there are certain things you absolutely have to do. There are ways you have to act. So if you and I didn't care about morality at all, and all we wanted was for our children to live a happy life, we wouldn't tell them, hey, go be Al Capone or go be uh, Bernie Madoff, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't advise them to go rip people off and murder, rape, pillage, and plunder. We would say something very different, regardless of, of our views on morality. We would say to them, look, if you want to live a really good life, you've got to be productive because your, your purpose in life comes from being productive and, and, and you, you've got to find good relationships. You've got to find people who are honest and, and worth being with. And you have to make yourself worth being with. Like we'd give them a whole litany of, of good advice about what you've got to do if you want to live well. And the reason we would give that advice is because it's true. It's demonstrably true that this is the case. And I think that part and parcel of Rand's morality is she's saying not only is life the standard of value and happiness, by the way, she attaches to life and says happiness is the moral purpose of life, personal happiness is, and this makes it a science, because if that's true, and I think she, she demonstrably proved that, the, that, that life is the standard, then what it means to live a, a wonderful life on Earth is very scientific. What are your biological needs? What are your psychological needs? Where does happiness come from? What is happiness? Where does it come from? Like she defined happiness as a state of consciousness that arises from the achievement of your values. And she specified that it has to be a state of non-contradictory joy. You can't have, you can't have values that are, uh, that are at war with each other in your soul. You've got to have values that are in harmony in order to, to be happy. And so what kind of values are those? They're exactly the kinds of values that you and I would advise our children to uphold even if we didn't care about morality. Even if we just thought, oh, the goal is, is happiness. So I think that, that by that, and this, this goes back, to, by the way, to my, my admiration for the way that you talked about the Ten Commandments, even though I don't believe the Ten Commandments came, you know, came from God or that they're, that they're the best way to think about morality, you were trying to point out all the way through why it's in your self-interest to uphold this commandment. And to my mind, you don't need the commandment part. You just need the self-interest part for people to understand what it means to live a good life. Right. Okay. So it's a good example where we, I, I, raising generations of vast numbers of people with, I want you just to think about what will give you a happy life as important. Obviously I wrote a book on happiness. It's not a religious book. Uh, but I don't think that that is as effective as God has, has made the following commandments. The, the, there's another element on the practical level, community. There used to be secular communities in the United States, the Kiwanis Club, the Rotary Club, the Book Club, the, the Bowling Club or Bowling League. Most of, are now defunct. The, the only people who have a regular community generally are religious Jews and Christians. I, I don't know of weekly atheist meetings that are comparable to weekly religious meetings. Would you acknowledge that that's an advantage to a religious life since community is a big deal? Absolutely. There's, there's something there that's not in other, in other uh, parts of, of our culture 
that I think is a value. I think community around around life serving values. Now, I, I don't think all religious values are life serving, so I would I would just park that part out there. But the very reason that I wanted to go to church, my father's an Episcopal minister, and when I was a kid, until I was about twelve or thirteen, I would go to I would go to church. And the main reason I went to church was for the social in, engagement. Um, I, it was fun, and I think adults uh, appreciate church and synagogue or, or whatever their religious. Uh, community is for the same reason. I think there's, there's something there. And I think that much of the secular world absolutely misses out on that. I don't think that's ne necessary that they miss out. For instance, um, my organization, Objective Standard Institute, is all about bringing people together to talk about ideas, uh, to talk about how to live well, to, 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 to uh, you know, engage with each other. We have conferences during the summer where we all get together. We're having one in Boston uh, this July. And the whole point there is to bring people together around these same ideas. And I'd love to do more of that. And I'd like to see more of that. But I'd love to see it more in the, on the order of, hey, let's use our minds to figure out how best to live in reality, not in the religious vein of let's use our faith to, you know, honor a, a, a being that you know is is uh, immaterial and that we can't really uh, see, and so that's where I lose track with the the religious elements of it. And I don't I don't try. I'm not putting it that way at all to be mocking of that. No, I, you're I, not mocking. I, I I understand. It just it it works. That's all I could say. It, you know, I, I get together with people every Saturday. In my case, obviously, as I mentioned, Judaism. It is one of the richnesses of my life. For every Friday night, which is the Shabbat dinner, I have with friends. Uh, if, if my kids are not around, which is most of the time, they, don't, they live in other states. It, it, it's, it's an incomparably rich life for me. And it, it's just another uh, massive uh, advantage of, of taking this stuff seriously. You mentioned there was no evidence for God's existence. You, you mentioned that in passing. Uh, that is odd to me. If you said there's no proof, you'd have no argument. But no evidence. Did you really mean evidence or, or did you mean proof? I would say both are true, but I understand that why you're making the difference here. So let me ask, what, what do you regard as evidence for God's existence? Uh, your existence and my existence, that it came from rocks is, uh, to me, an infinitely bigger leap of faith into non-reason than to believe a creator made it. DNA is information. How could information not come from intelligence? I mean, the number of, of evident, evidence arguments is just enormous. The complexity of the eye, the complexity of the liver and pancreas this all came about over time on its own. Uh, it strikes me, frankly, as absurd. Uh, I asked Charles Krauthammer, who was completely secular, is a great American thinker, I'm sure you agreed with him on many things. To my shock, he was on my show, and uh, he's unfortunately since passed away. And I asked him what he thought of atheism, and I thought he'd, said, he'd say, look, uh, personally, I'm not religious. I, I, you know, I may not be an atheist, but I, I get it. And he just, he laced into it. He said, of all the ideas, that is the most absurd. That everything came from nothing. And 
so you're asking me what evidence there is? The evidence is, is enormous. I have no proof that God exists, but the evidence is enormous. So it's, it, you know, it is amazing what has happened in terms of the rise of, of life, just at, at any level, even just plants, right? The right. existence of plants right. out, of, out of- Even bacteria. So these are scientific questions, right? Where, where did this stuff come from and, and how did it happen? Maybe life has always been an integral part of, of the universe. Maybe it didn't begin at some point. I don't know. These are scientific questions. But there's a fallacy involved, a literal, a literal logical fallacy involved in saying, because you don't know where life came from, or because you can't explain it scientifically, ergo God, right? This is the, the fallacy of, uh, of argument from ignorance. Um, it's the idea that your ignorance of this is proof of this other thing, but that it's just not. Now, I grant you, it is an amazing thing that life, the evolution, I don't know whether you believe in evolution, but I think evolution is pretty solid science from what I understand. And it's just remarkable to me, even just accepting evolution as science, how it all happened. But there does seem to be a pattern that explains much of this. And if we can't explain every last drop of it right now, I wouldn't throw to the wind and say, well, just because, you know, the, the fact that you can't explain this now means that, that God did this. That's the sort of the God of the gaps thing that well, I just would take right. issue with. But the issue is not gaps, in my opinion. It's, it, science will never answer why anything exists. Science can only answer how. It can never answer why. That's not its province. It's not religion's province to answer how. I don't learn geology or, or chemistry from the Bible, but I learn why, which ultimately is more important to me in any event. So uh, the question remains, why is there anything and why is there such complexity? Uh, these, are, these aren't little gaps. These are, these are Grand Canyon-esque holes. Well, now we've moved, from, we've moved from the idea of life and the complexity of, of consciousness and all of that to just existence as such. And um, I grant there's a whole lot of complexity in, in, in if life didn't always exist in the universe, where did it come from? That's an interesting thing. But existence as such, just the fact that there's something rather than nothing, um, to me, this is an axiomatic issue. Um, how do we know that existence is here? Because we can perceive it. Why would we assume that it ever didn't exist? There's no reason to uh, me uh, only to only because science seems to suggest suggest that there was a beginning. You're right. Uh, uh, you can argue it always was. Of course, neither you nor I understand what that. We, we can use the words, but we don't understand. It, it makes no sense. Something always was, because everything we know of has a beginning and an end. And by the way, there will be an end. The universe will implode. At, at a given point. So if it has an end, the assumption is it had a beginning. But anyway, I, I'm just, I'm more, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the fact that zebras urinate. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll live with that amazing miracle. They, these, um, until you have an explanation, they are miracles. And miracles suggest the miraculous. Okay, so I, I just wanted to say, I only, uh, I have never in my life offered 
anything called a proof of God's existence. I've only offered evidence which strikes me as, as overwhelming. If it's okay with you, are we okay with questions? Okay, great. So on, I, I, you've seen some fireside chats, so you know I take questions from folks calling in. So I, what we asked, correct, Megan, is for people to ask on this subject. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Okay. So we begin with this. Will, will, uh, will you be able to hear this? Craig? You, you, yeah. yeah. Okay. Hello, my name is Chris. I'm 23 and I'm from Tennessee. My question is for Dennis. There are over 12 major world religions, and the followers of those religions have further divided themselves into a multitude of denominations and sects. That being said, why should any indecisive person believe what anyone has to say about God? Why would such a supreme being make himself so unknown? Thanks. So, it's a great question, and uh, I, I love these, these questions. So, I've never quite understood, though, why the multiplicity of religions is an argument against God. The, the human being has yearned to, to know the creator. People will yearn in, in, and, and even within the same religion. Look, your dad is an Episcopal minister. Uh, he, he had, he's a Christian. So is a Roman Catholic priest. They differ on a lot of things. So, so would uh, an evangelical minister and your dad differ on... Your dad and you would, might agree on more. Well, actually, in your case, it may not be, may not be true. But in any event, uh, the, the irony is, because I'm, I'm a big defender of the, of the Bible, specifically uh, the, the first five books, because they're the basis of everything. That's why I'm writing my commentary on it. And... Uh, there's one God who created the universe. He revealed to the world, you know, the Ten Commandments and other major moral ideas. We should live by them, and then I'm happy. If people want to take that, I, I, I don't believe that Allah and and Yahweh are the, are identical. That's not a knock on on Allah. It's just uh, that the Arab tribes uh, under Muhammad developed a, a different theology. So that's, that's, that's like saying, I don't believe in human rights because Democrats and Republicans differ on human rights. Uh, the, for the Democrats, it is a human right to have free tuition. For the Republicans, it is not. It's your obligation to pay for your own tuition. So therefore, there are no human rights. So with true respect to the, to the, to the questioner, it's not a question. Of course, human beings will develop different ways of understanding a similar concept. It doesn't mean the concept isn't real. You are now obligated to use your faculty of reason, you who asked this question in Tennessee, and uh, looking at the multiplicity of religious claims, not ask, which do I believe in? I, that's not the question I would ask if I were searching. I would ask which makes the most sense. That that would be my criterion. So if you want to comment, otherwise I'll go to another question. Yeah, I'd like to comment because I think it was a very good question. Um, and I think it's true. I mean, it's undeniably true that re- religious factions since the beginning of religion have been warring with each other over who's right about, about God. 
And it's interesting to note that in sciences, like in physics and chemistry and, and the like, um, there isn't there, there aren't factions. There's truth. There's a truth, and it, and if if something is wrong, it gets fixed over time because people are applying reason to it and observation and logic. And one of the things that I think is it, it points to one of the problems with religion as such is its fundamental method, faith. The, the reason that there are so many different factions in, in religion that, that disagree with each other is because they, they have a common method, faith, but that method has no objectivity to it. There, there's no sensory apparatuses through which the data comes in. Like with reason, we use our five senses and it comes in. And then we conceptually integrate the material from these five senses to form concepts like dog and cat and bird and uh, you know satellite, whatever. And reason operates by known means. We know what it is. Faith doesn't work that way. Faith is just, I believe. And so I, it's an interesting thing. I know you've often said that if there is no God, anything goes. And in my view, it's really the opposite. It's if faith is a means of knowledge, anything goes. Because then all that anyone has to do is say, look, I have faith that I should fly airplanes into your buildings full of, full of people or that I should behead you or whatever. And how can you argue with that if you, if you say that faith is a means of knowledge? You just confirm. Well, by the way, in light of what you just raised, so that's the, the, if a Christian or a Jew took an airplane into a building of innocent people, like was done on 9-11 in the United States by Muslims, and said, God told me to do so, 99.999% of his co-religionists would say that he's a madman. There is a zero in Judaism, a zero in Christianity that would allow for that act. My, my charge with regard to the Muslim world was 99.999% of Muslims did not say that they were madmen. So your, your issue uh, is with uh, aspects of Islam. But Well, but it's, my issue is with, the, with faith being a means of knowledge. Because how can you, if faith is a means of knowledge, how can we say to the Muslim, look, you might have faith that you should do that, but it's not true. He could just come back and say, well, if faith is a means of knowledge, it can't not be true. Right, but I, but so that's why I would say, wait, are, are, do, you, do you or do you not have the commandment of do not murder? If he does, he violated God's will. If he doesn't, then he didn't violate God's will, and it's not a religion I could, I could particularly admire. I would have to believe that, that's why I don't know, I, I am, I'm frankly uh, very upset that a good chunk of the Muslim world did not attack these people. But, but I'm, I'm here to talk about the Judeo-Christian conceptions, which, of course, uh, precede uh, 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 Islam by, by centuries. Yeah, yeah. I was just, in the spirit of the guy's question, the, the young man's question, I think that part of the reason we've seen these factions, though, is because faith being the fundamental means of, of accepting... Well, we have as many factions in the non-faith world. That's why I raised the human rights issue. Where, you know, you don't believe it's a human right uh, to have your tuition paid. Half this country does. Yeah. Uh, that's a th All right. So I can give you a, a, a list of a dozen things that on, on, having nothing to do with religion we would differ on. That's the human condition. By the way, talking about that, I, I have no idea what you'll answer. What is your view of abortion? This is an interesting one. And I, you and I definitely disagree on this. So I think that, that women have a right to abort a fetus. Um, and the reason is, and the I, ninth month. 
uh, I, I actually think right up till till birth. And I, I know this 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 is going to. I know your well, audience, for, and for I know a your guy view. who was telling us that his whole basis is is life. Yeah. It, it does seem odd. So let, if I if I can just say a few words on sure, it, because that's such a big deal, and for me to say, I want I want to be clear on why I think this. The concept of rights was developed over time and applies only to human beings in a social context, in my view. And a fetus is not in a social context. A fetus is within a woman. It is not in a, in a negative sense of the term, but in a literal sense of the term. It is parasitic on the mother. It is still feeding off of, off of her. And it is not yet an individuated being out in the social environment where the concept of rights applies. Now, this does not mean that abortion is a great thing. Abortion is, is the taking of a, a thing that is alive. I don't believe it's a human being. I think a fetus, I think the reason we have two different What's terms. your scientific basis for an eighth month fetus not being a human being? Scientific. It is a human being. It is not an individuated human being. It's, it's as a fetus, it is. Well, how individuated is a newborn? Without, without parents taking care of it, it'll drop dead in a day. Yeah. The newborn is individuated in the sense that it's literally separated. Just physically, just yeah. physically, but it's just as dependent upon the mother on, at birth as before birth. Yes. The, the difference is not that. The difference is the individuation and the reason that the concept, the, the whole purpose of the concept of rights. Let me say one word about why I think abortion at that late stage is almost always wrong. Okay. Morally wrong. Not, not just wrong. So a woman has a moral obligation to herself, in my view, to be rational about her life, to take care of herself and not to get herself into a, a bad situation and certainly not to go through a horrifically risky surgery rather than a much less risky surgery if, let's say, she was raped. Uh, so rather than getting an abortion in the eighth month, if, if, if a woman is raped, she should get an abortion as soon, if she wants to abort, she should get an abortion as soon as she finds out that she's pregnant, if she, if she wants the abortion. So I think human judgment comes in and that an abortion can be wrong or right for a given person, depending on the way that they think. And it can be morally very wrong to wait a long time for an abortion when you have good reason not to have waited. But I don't think the concept of rights applies to fetuses. That's the difference here. It's not that I think wait, abortion so, is- Wait, but you said she is morally wrong in the eighth month. You can, you can do things that are morally wrong, but that don't violate rights. And this would be- I don't care whether it violates rights. You're prepared to say it's morally wrong. Because in the beginning, you only spoke about uh, her right to abort at any time. Yes, and that I was, I was speaking about rights in that context. Right. I can't so think of an instance- So you have the right to be immoral. Yeah, well, you have a right. I mean, people do all sorts no, of no, things. No, no, fine. But that's what you're saying. I mean, I... I yeah. I, okay. I can't think of an instance, unless it's some weird emergency, like the, the doctor says, look, if you give birth to this fetus, you're going to die. And if that's the no, case... No, no, no. Nobody has an oh, issue yeah. with that. So, th th so, uh, th that's a separate... Yeah. Yes. So I can't think of an instance where a woman waiting to the eighth month to get an abortion and saying, I'm going to get an abortion, where that wouldn't be horrifically immoral. I can't think what, of What is your argument... Uh, since we, you want us to use reason, correct, for a, a, and for a better life, why not uh, put, uh, why not engage in eugenics and and get get rid of? I mean, I can't be delicate. Get rid of 
those who, uh, what, what is the Nazi statement? Life unworthy of life. The, the, the you know, children or, or, or even adults just uh, literally out of their minds uh, and, and the like. Why not painlessly put them to sleep? Well, individuated human beings, everything from a born baby on up to, to a, a, a 99-year-old, um, has moral rights. They have a right to, to live their lives. And now they don't have a right to be taken care of because that would imply that somebody has a, a, a moral obligation to, to care for them. You, now, so so you, you would sort of leave them to just die in the street. Well, it, no, a baby has a right to be taken no, no, care of. No, not a baby. Okay, you're talking about elderly people? No. no not even the, uh, well, elderly or, or the, 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 the insane. Severely mentally retarded yes, or something right. like that? Okay. No, no, no. I, I would not leave them to die in the streets. And, and I don't think... Then you think people have to take care of them? Well, I think people will take care of them. And I think that we can see evidence that people do take care of them. Right. But you don't think we're obliged to... I think you are morally obliged to uphold your values and to be serious about that. So when it comes to things like charity, um, if you value a, a certain kind of world and, if you've, and a part of your valuing that world is that people who cannot care for themselves are not left to die in the street, then I think giving charity to that cause that can help them is a moral obligation based on integrity. If you don't value a world where these people are not, you know, are not left to die in the street, and I don't think many people have that position, I think you'd have to be a very strange person to have that. And this goes to the the broader point here on on charity. Charity, in my view, and in Ayn Rand's view, is not a virtue in the sense that it's something you always have to do because human life depends on it. It's something that you should do if the value in question is something you genuinely care about. So I give money every year to St. Jude's Children's Hospital, among a few other charities, um, largely because I'm, I think it's just horrific that some kids are, you know, just uh, come down with leukemia. What a, what a horrifically bad disease. And a friend of mine died of it even. So that's the kind of, and I think that, that, that in, a, in a fully free society, what you would find is that with a bunch of really selfish people who are making lots and lots of money, they'd be like, I don't want to live in a world where people who can't take care of themselves suffer and die here. And, and by the way, Americans give $320 billion a year to charity. Right, and the religious give more money than, than the irreligious. That is true, I think, although I'm not sure. Do, do, do you know that? For yes, I do, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised because most of the non-religious people today do not have a good moral, a moral philosophy. They have a very bad moral right. philosophy. Well, I, no, I, your honesty on this is profoundly respected. I, 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 what I think in, in the final analysis is that you are a, and I, you know, I'm not saying this patronizingly. I never, I never patronize. You are a very fine person, uh, but I don't think you have a system for replicating you. I think that that's that would be my ultimate argument. It it has worked to make a wonderful. Craig, uh, but we need systems for for billions, and I, I I don't think a secular system exists or will exist to compete with a religious moral system. So that's I guess that's where we uh, 
where we differ. It, it, it's been a joy. May, may I say a word just on that? Yeah. So I, I understand why you're skeptical about that. And the reason is because the secular philosophies, particularly the secular philosophies that have been destroying freedom and human life for, for decades and, and uh, on end here, um, are really, really awful. And, and, and it's, it's not easy to see a new alternative. Ayn Rand's ideas are new. She, she is cut from, it's just a completely new thing. This is not the standard cloth that, that uh, secular moralities and philosophies have come from. And what we're doing at my Objective Standard Institute is teaching people about these ideas, not in, by the way, there's no dogma in any of this. It's not, you have to accept these ideas. It's, hey, here are some ideas to think about. Here's a new way of looking at morality and a new way of looking at what happiness is and a new way of looking at how to defend liberty or whatever. And we're trying to teach people because I think that the views that I hold here are replicable. replicable. Um, I think that Ayn Rand's system is, it wasn't easy to develop, but it's relatively easy to understand if you dive in and do some thinking about it. And I think, frankly, that if you looked into it further, I, have you read any of Rand's books, by the way? Oh, yes. In fact, I have uh, one of her lesser known books is the first book I recommend for people to understand communism, We the Living. Ah, yes. It's my wife's favorite of, of yeah, her, her books. Me, me too. Really powerful stuff. So um, Rand's novels, so there's, there's We the Living, The Fountainhead, and Atlas Shrugged. Um, I urge people to read those because, first of all, they're just powerful, wonderful right. stories. But they're also really philosophically rich in the way that few, few novels are. Uh, and then Rand's nonfiction, including, uh, you know, philosophy who needs it, the virtue of selfishness, capitalism, the unknown ideal. These books present new ideas that are not standard atheist secular world ideas. It's a whole new ballgame. And I think what you'll find, and I think a lot of your listeners will, will appreciate this, whether you're religious or not, what you'll find is a really robust grounding for the kinds of values that I think PragerU is really trying to uphold, particularly at the political level. America, America is exceptional. America's founders were excellent men and women, the, the, their, their wives as well. Did they, were, did they err in some ways? Yes, slavery was, you know, some of them had slaves. And can you be critical of that? Yes, but you don't judge people based on the worst things that they did that were common among other people at the time, you judge people on the exceptional things That's that they right. did that made a huge difference in the world. And so Rand's whole philosophy, as, as I said at one point, you know, she saw her ethics as a fully philosophically worked out proof of what the founders implied in the Declaration. And I, it really is that, I think, and you'll see that if you, if you look into it. So on that note, I would say this. Whether you're religious or whether you're secular and, and looking to defend America, there, I think we do have a meeting ground here. And I think that meeting ground is important. As you said, you, you have more respect for, for an atheist who wants to defend America and freedom than for a, a religionist who wants to destroy those things. I certainly have more respect for any person who is religious and loves this country and wants to defend this country. And I think we can all learn from each other by having these kinds of conversations. I couldn't have said it better. Would you like to leave anybody with an address or a, a website? I'm more than happy to promote it. So go ahead. 
Thank you. Yes, I'd love to. So um, I am the editor of a journal called The Objective Standard, and that is separate from the Institute, which I'll mention in a minute. And you can get to that by uh, objectivestandard.com. Um, and it, the journal is um, available for pay. If you're a student or simply can't afford a subscription, you'll see on our subscribe page that if you um, simply cannot afford the subscription, you can send us an email and we will give you a complimentary one-year subscription to get you, uh, get you going. We don't want money to be the reason you can't read it. Uh, Objective Standard Institute is a separate organization. It's a 501c3 educational organization that my wife Sarah and I started uh, just last May. And we teach courses on history, philosophy, uh, objectivism specifically, writing. We have great courses on how to write powerfully in defense of liberty. Because one of, as you know, one of the things that's really missing today is people who can really articulate the case for liberty. And if we don't have that, we're not going to win this. Like, we got to have that. So we, we have all sorts of great courses there, and we have scholarships as well. So go, go check that out. If you can't afford the, the courses, we've got ways to get you in on scholarship. Um, and th those are the two best places to find right. my work. Well, I, I, I wish you well. I'm sure you'll get a lot of people uh, going there. Thank you, Craig Bedell. It's been wonderful. This is a fireside chat special. I don't know if we have an official name. Two dogs. For the two dog have, chat. Well, both dogs showed up. That's right. And, and a dialogue. These issues are critical. And it is uh, PragerU's dream uh, to have people think more deeply about the great issues. And that we've done today. So thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. See you next week. I'm Dennis Prager. Thank you for watching this video. To keep PragerU videos free, please consider making a tax-deductible donation.